John chapter 18 is where we are. John chapter 18. We're going to read from verses 28 down through verse 40. John chapter 18, verse 28 through verse 40. If you don't have a Bible, you can look to the screens, and the Scripture will be on the screen for you. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to follow along as I read. John chapter 18, verse 28. The Bible says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now... My kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. The title of the message this morning is, The King is Innocent. The King is Innocent. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning and ask God for his help in the message today. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the singing and the, uh, the worship that we've already uplifted to you this morning. We pray that you would be honored through the preaching of your word. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Help us to understand what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2003, the New Jersey Nets picked as their 51st round in the draft pick, Kyle Korver, who was a rookie at the time, but they just had one small problem. They didn't have any room on the roster for him. The Nets had just made the NBA Finals that year and had now had a winning roster, one that featured Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, and Kenyon Martin. The team didn't need a rookie eating up a spot on their roster, and especially a rookie who was not likely to get any playing time. To compound their problems, the Nets also had a money problem. They were low on cash, and and actually, they needed some money to pay their entry fee into the team's summer league for that offseason. And so, what was their solution? Well, on draft night, they actually sold the rights to Kyle Korver to the Philadelphia 76ers, and the 76ers paid the Nets $125,000 for Kyle Korver. That was more than enough money to pay for their summer league entry fee. 
So they paid their fee, they made it into the offseason in the summer league, and they had a little bit of extra money left over. And so what did they buy with their extra money? They purchased an all-in-one photocopy machine for their office building. Kyle Corver was traded for a photocopy machine. 17 years later, in 2020 is when he was last playing, Kyle Corver was turned into an all-star in the NBA and still leads the league as one of the most lethal three-point shooters in NBA history. When the Nets made the trade 20, over 20 years ago now, they did not realize who they were giving away. And in today's text, Jesus is accused, he's interrogated, and he's traded for a common criminal in the worst, and I would submit to you, yet the best trade in all of human history. I want us to notice this morning in our text today that the king, Jesus, is evaluated by three different parties, and yet all three parties rejected him. They all decided against Jesus. They all disregarded his innocence, and they all condemned him to death. What are we to take away from this passage of scripture this morning. It is one sentence, simply this, you cannot ignore the innocence of Jesus. You cannot be neutral on the innocence of Jesus. You are either for him or you are against him. He is interrogated by a Roman governor. He is accused by hypocritical Jews. Indeed, an innocent king is exchanged for a rabid robber. I want us to look this morning at three realities about the innocence of Jesus that we cannot ignore. Three realities about Jesus and his innocence that we cannot afford to ignore. The first thing about the king's innocence I see is that the king's innocence is established by his accusers. The king's innocence is established by his accusers. Look at verse number 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. We see the, the Jewish accusers, the, the high priests, the Sanhedrin, they have arrested Jesus. They've brought him before Pilate, and they've done an illegal trial in John chapter 18, earlier in the chapter, which we've covered in the weeks previous to this. They've conducted an illegal trial in an illegal fashion with illegal witnesses at an illegal time. They have broken so many of their own Jewish laws in bringing Jesus to condemnation that they are now worried about a defilement of themselves, a little rule that they're concerned with. They do not enter the praetorium because of their hypocrisy. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. It, they were saying this, sure, we've just illegally tried this man. We've just put up false witnesses to accuse him. We've collaborated, uh, co collaborated this kangaroo court to try to condemn Jesus, the sinless son of God. But uh, that's all fine, but we shouldn't enter the governor's house because that would defile us. One little 
role that they were concerned about. It's like saying, officer, I know I was driving drunk. I know I was way over the legal limit. I know I was driving without my license. I know I was driving without my insurance. I know that due to my intoxication, I crossed over into the other side of the four-lane highway, and I hit oncoming traffic, and I killed four other people. I know all of that, officer, but, but, but I was driving under the speed limit. You see how ridiculous that sounds? Do you see just how hip, hypocritical these Jewish high priests were? They've done all of this illegally. They've brought Jesus to, the San, to, to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they will not break a little rule so that they could eat the Passover later, as if they had not done anything wrong. They were hypocritical. But I also see that they were evasive. Look at verse number 30. They answered that Pilate asks them, what accusation do you bring against this man? And, and in verse 30, they answer and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. They were evasive in their answer. They, they knew that they had nothing. But one thing that this actually tells us is that not only had Jesus kept the law of the Jews perfectly, but in order for the Jews to bring to Pilate Jesus, they would have had to have a charge against the Roman law as well. This tells me two things. This tells me that Jesus kept all of the Jewish law, and he also kept all of the Roman law. The Jews had nothing. The best thing that they could come up with when Pilate asked them, what accusation do you bring against Jesus? The best thing that they could come up with is this. Well, we wouldn't have brought him to you if he didn't do anything wrong. They've got nothing. They were evasive in their answer. They were also powerless. Look at verse number 31. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. You see, in order to put Jesus to death, they needed Roman permission. The Jews at this time in history, this is the first century AD, of course. The Jews at this time in history were under Roman occupation they could not exercise any kind of death penalty or capital punishment without the express approval of the Roman governor whose jurisdiction they were under. And this happened to be Pontius Pilate at the time. In other passages of scripture, we see that in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned. He was executed by the Jews without any kind of permission being asked from the Roman authorities. But the Jews in this instance come to Pilate and request that he would be executed under Roman authority. And at this point, Pilate is thinking to himself, it's too early in the morning for this. I've got to get onto the actual business of the day. And so Pilate says, basically, look, if it doesn't threaten Caesar, then y'all do what you want. I don't care. You can do with Jesus whatever you want to. You take him. You judge him according to your law. You see, it was interesting, though, because they were powerless in this instance, but in an ironic twist of God's sovereignty, they actually were fulfilling the prophecy in the manner that Jesus spoke of his death. Because as in, G as in John chapter 3, 14, and in other passages of Scripture, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The, the, the typical manner of execution for the Jews was by stoning. We see this in Acts chapter 7 and all throughout the Old Testament. But when it comes to Jesus predicting his own death, 
Jesus very specifically says he is going to be lifted up, not just in John chapter 3, but also in John chapter 10. He is lifted up. He will draw all men to himself. He is speaking of a Roman execution, predicting his own death. And what the Jews perceived as a vindication of themselves was actually a validation of their Messiah. The Jews were powerless here. They were evasive in their answer. They were hypocritical about bringing an accusation to Pilate. And they were powerless in being able to put Jesus to death themselves. The problem with these high priests and these Jews was this. They decided that they were going to reject Jesus because they were threatened by him. They were envious of his influence. They traded Jesus for power. And so I ask you this morning, have you rejected Jesus because you want to retain control over your own life? Do you value the power over your own circumstances more than you value Jesus' control over your life? Oh, there isn't anything wrong with Jesus. It's just that I don't like him, might be your attitude. That's the same attitude that these chief priests had. That's the same attitude that the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin had. I don't like Jesus. My position, my beliefs, my influence in this world is threatened by Jesus. I don't like that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Do you find yourself relating to these high priests? You may not turn somebody in. You may not falsely accuse somebody of a crime they did not commit. But all the same in your heart, you may think to yourself, I, I don't like Jesus being in control of my life. And so for that reason, I'm going to reject his innocence. From April to June of last year, uh, some of you might have kept up with it. I, I frankly did not, but there was a highly televised, highly, highly, highly sensationalized civil suit between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Many of you might have kept up with this, but the essence of the case was this last year from April to June. Uh, Johnny Depp sued his ex-wife Amber Heard because she was making public accusations of him that he was an abusive spouse. Uh, in the years previous when they were married, they got a divorce, and then Amber started making all these public accusations. So in essence, Johnny Depp was suing Amber for defamation. Public defamation is what the civil suit was. And this was televised. It was broadcast all over social media. It was written about in the tabloids and all of the popular news networks. For some reason, the world is just fascinated when it comes to famous people arguing about each other. So whatever your position on who was right, who was wrong, what actually happened, the, the bottom line is this, that the longer that the suit was drawn out, the longer that Amber made her accusations against Johnny, the more it became apparent that all of these were fabricated and that she truly did publicly defame him. And so he won the civil suit after a long legal battle. He was awarded several million dollars for that because her accusations were not matched with the proof. You see, the Sanhedrin could only accuse Jesus by making false allegations here. And the allegations and the accusations got more and more convoluted depending on who they were accusing him in front of. If they were in front of Pilate, they, they accused Jesus of 
making himself a king instead of Caesar. And when they, he was in front of Herod, they accused him of blaspheming God Almighty. The charges didn't add up to each other. Depending on who they were in front of, they kept changing the accusations. They kept changing the allegations. They knew that there was nothing they could pin on Jesus at this point. They were just trying to do away with Christ. I hope that you're not in your heart trying every way that you could do away with Christianity. Every way that you could, every reason that you could mount against Jesus. Every way that you could think of that would perhaps call into question his innocence. I hope that's not you this morning. The king's innocence is established by his accusers. But secondly, I see that the king's innocence is confirmed by his interrogator. Look at verse number 31. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Pilate was not interested in what the Jews had going on in their little drama. In Pilate's mind, he had a province to run. He had business to attend to. He had more important things to give his attention to than this little squabble that the Jewish people were bringing to him. The only accusation that they could really trump up against Jesus was that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate acknowledges this in verse number 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is wondering, what is going on here? What? You, they bring you here, Jesus. He, he goes back in. He, by the way, he calls Jesus into the praetorium, ceremonially defiling Jesus, but none of, that is neither here nor there. Pilate calls Jesus into the praetorium, says to him, are you the king of the Jews? Is it true? I need to get to the bottom of this because I have other things to attend to today. I cannot be wrapped up in this all day. Some people might not really care about Jesus. That certainly was the case with Pilate here. He didn't care who Jesus was. He just wanted to get to the bottom of things, quell this little squabble that they had, imprison him, incarcerate him, whatever, whatever he needed to do to get rid of him and move on to the next thing. He was very uninterested in what actually happened with Jesus. And that might be your attitude this morning. You don't really care about Jesus. If Jesus works for you, great. As long as Jesus stays in his lane, great. But as soon as Jesus threatens my livelihood or my goals, well, then, then we have a problem, don't we? The lesson that we learned from Pilate is that you can never be undecided about Jesus. He was uninterested. He was also apathetic. You look at verse number 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Shows the pragmatic nature of the Roman government. What have you done? What am I going to do about it? How can I move on with the rest of my day? He wasn't a Jew. He was a Roman. He really didn't care what happened to Jesus. All he cared about was keeping the, Roman, uh, the, the Jewish people in line with the Roman government so that he didn't lose his job or worse, his head. Pilate has nothing but self-interest here, and he asks something of Jesus that I think we ought to ask ourselves this morning. What has Jesus done? 
What have you done, Jesus? Oh, nothing. I, all I've done is turn water into wine in John chapter 2. All I've done is heal the nobleman's son. All I've done is made a lame man walk that we saw earlier this year. All, I done, all I've done is feed 5,000 people. All I've done is walk on water. All I've done is healed a man that was born blind. All I did was raise Lazarus from the dead. All I did was heal Malchus's ear. That's all I've done. What have you done, Jesus? What, have Jesus? what has Jesus done in your life? Like it or not, Jesus is on trial at some point in every one of our hearts, whether it be today, later down the road, or maybe in the past when you accepted Christ for the first time. Jesus is on trial in your heart, and you cannot remain apathetic. You cannot remain uninterested. What has Jesus done? Matthew 27 records the same account, actually, when Pilate is interrogating Jesus. and says this, Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. You, on the one hand, you've got the Jews accusing Jesus, screaming at Jesus, screaming at Pilate, you've got to do away with this man. You've got to put Jesus to death. He is no friend of Caesar's. And Pilate asked Jesus directly, what have you done? Indeed, what has Jesus done for you? He was an apathetic interrogator. He was uh, an uninterested interrogator, but he was also a cynical interrogator. Look at verse number 37. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? It's difficult to understand the tone that Pilate used here because we don't have an audio recording. We don't have a video of this interaction. All we have is the text of Scripture. And I think that when Pilate asks what is truth, he is not truly seeking for truth. This is said in a sarcastic way. Jesus has just given him, he's appealed to him that he is the truth. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He gives Pilate a reason to believe in him, and Pilate blows him off and says, what is truth? They're saying this, you're saying this, I think this, what is truth? I just want to get this over with. And he goes back out to the Jews, and he says to him, I find no fault in him at all. John's gospel doesn't capture this as, as fully, perhaps, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, but after an extended interrogation and accusation from the Jews on one side, throwing their accusations to Pilate, who's sitting here uh, in front of Jesus, Pilate then concludes that Jesus has done nothing wrong. Jesus just stands there. Pilate has decided that he was against Jesus because it was easier for him. The Jews decided that Jesus had to go because their power was threatened by him. Pilate decides that Jesus has to go because 
it is not politically expedient for him if Jesus continues. Pilate knows what is true and he still ignores it. My friend, you know that Jesus is the truth. You have heard the gospel witness to you perhaps many times before. Perhaps even this morning, you might have heard something on the radio as you were driving to church this morning. You keep hearing the truth of the gospel and you still decide, no, that's not for me. Jesus is the truth. You've tried to convince yourself to remain agnostic, perhaps. You've tried to convince yourself that maybe you should uninvolve yourself with the gospel. Perhaps you convince yourself that you're fine just where you are. Pilate is in the same shoes. He's in the same boat as you. And he thinks to himself, how can I work this out so that I don't get in trouble with either person? Matthew 27, 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And so Pilate offers a disclaimer. This is where we get the phrase, I'm washing my hands of this. He tries to say that he himself is innocent while he condemns an innocent man to death. Kind of like the disclaimers you might hear at the end of some uh, TV commercials for medications. Side effects may include upset stomach, nausea, vomiting, headache, diarrhea, constipation, dizziness, or drowsiness, right? They just say that as if it's nothing. But buy our product. Pilate offers a disclaimer to these Jews. He's saying, look, if I, if I execute this man, I am clean of the blood of this person. And in Matthew, the Jews say to Pilate, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Pilate washes his hands. He, in an effort to wash his hands of Jesus, Pilate knows he's not really innocent of this man's blood. He's actually futilely, in futility, washing his hands. He's using his own means to wash himself when he should have been looking at the Lamb of God to wash himself for him. Pilate knows you cannot remain neutral on Jesus. You either accept Jesus or reject him. Have you accepted Jesus or are you rejecting him today? The king's innocence is established by his accusers, but the king's innocence is also confirmed by his interrogator. And finally, we see this morning that the king's innocence is rejected by his people. We come to verse 39. What has happened so far? Jesus is taken to Pilate. The high priests are accusing him of the things that Jesus has not done. Pilate makes a last-ditch attempt to try to satisfy both parties and keep his own job and his head, he proposes this. He proposes a prisoner release. It seemed to be the custom every year at Passover time that Pilate or whoever the Roman governor was in the region at the time would release a certain prisoner to the crowds, whoever they wanted. It was a way of satisfying the Jews. It was a, it was a way of placating them. It was a way of the Roman government to demonstrate to them that they were not really the bad guys. 
And Pilate proposes the same thing that he's done every year. He says in verse 39, But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Pilate thought that if he could persuade the crowd to release Jesus to them, he could solve both problems. Oh, a solution. If I release Jesus, I'm off the hook. I'm innocent of his blood. And at the same time, I can please the crowd because no doubt they want me to release a prisoner to them. It is really just the high priest and the Sanhedrin that are really have a bone to pick with Jesus, right? The crowd, the people, they love this rabbi. Sadly, we see though in Matthew 27, 18, a little bit more of the story, Pilate knows, for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And in verse 20, it says, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Barabbas was traded for Jesus. The, Barabbas was a criminal. The, the, the other gospels tell us that not only was he a robber, but he was also an insurrectionist. He was part of a rebellion against the Roman Empire. He was a murderer. He was a political zealot. He was a fanatic. He was on death row waiting for the day when the Romans would eventually execute him. That's who Barabbas was. Put yourself in Barabbas' shoes. He is waking up that day. It's very early in the morning. History tells us perhaps this is 5 or 6 a.m. He is greeted in his prison cell by the opening of his door. He's waking up. He's rubbing the sleep from his eyes. The day has finally come, he thinks to himself. I'm going to be executed today. But as the Roman soldiers lead him out, he's confused. He hears the roar of the crowd outside. And as they lead him out, the soldiers take off his chains and Barabbas blinks in the harsh sunlight in the early morning. He looks up where Pilate is standing and he sees somebody else standing up there with him. It's Jesus. And Barabbas slowly realizes what is happening. Jesus looks at Barabbas, and Barabbas' arms are now free, and the people are screaming his name, Barabbas, Barabbas. Barabbas realizes Jesus is, that man right there is going to the cross that was meant for me. Friends, do you know what the name Barabbas means? Barabbas means son of the father. Just like Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus, Barabbas means son of the father. And we can see the, the gospel story playing out in every single corner of John's gospel here. We see a son of a father was traded for the son of the father so that a son of a father might be able to become a son of the father. Do you see yourself in Barabbas this morning? He realizes that Jesus took his place. You see, all of us, whether we realize it or not, Jesus has taken your place. Whether you have accepted him today, whether you've accepted him in the past, or whether you will accept him in the future, Jesus has taken your spot. He has taken your place on that cross so that you can have forgiveness that is known to everybody that will accept Jesus Christ. Jesus has taken your place. 
The people decided that they were against Jesus because they were influenced against him. You see, the people traded Jesus. They didn't trade him for envy, as the high priest did. They didn't trade him for political expedience, as Pilate did. But the people traded him for personal gratification. Barabbas was the people's hero. What other person would they want but Barabbas, who had taken part in an insurrection, a rebellion against the Roman government, to try to throw off the oppression of the Romans, to break free from the chains of the Roman occupation? Who else would they want than Barabbas? No, they did not sing, you can have the world, but give me Jesus. But they did shout, you can have Jesus, give us Barabbas. They wanted a short-term personal gratification, and in doing so, they rejected the innocence of the king, and they condemned him to death. They convinced themselves, we would rather have Barabbas than we would have Jesus. What is it that's all but convinced you this morning that you would rather have Barabbas than Jesus? Is there something in your life? Is there a, is, is it, is it wealth? Is it your, is it your possessions? Is it, is it an attitude? Is it a, a relationship? Is, it, is there something in your life that whispers to you, that convinces you, you don't need Jesus, you just need this? What is it in your life? What is it that whispers to you that Jesus will not satisfy the longings in your heart? No election that goes your way will ever satisfy the ultimate longing in your heart. No possession, no notoriety, no wealth, and no relationship will ever take the place of Jesus living in you. This was the worst trade in human history, and yet it was the best trade in human history because it was ordained by God before the foundation of the world that Jesus would die for the sins of mankind. On February 4th, 1983, I was not born yet, but in 1983, Carlos de Luna was arrested for the murder of Wanda Lopez. An eyewitness reported that he saw a Hispanic male stab a woman and then run out of the convenience store where she worked. Carlos was arrested 40 minutes later when they discovered him hiding under a pickup truck. And Carlos was tried. He was sentenced to death. He was on death row for six years. And he was finally executed after six years. Later on, there was a study done, a scholarly investigation done. This would prove to be one of the most mishandled cases in criminal history. Carlos maintained that he was innocent right up to the very end. And and, and said that it was actually his friend who was also named Carlos, Carlos Hernandez, that had killed Wanda. There was sloppy evidence handling, there was sketchy eyewitness testimony, and there was the inability of anyone to actually confirm Hernandez's existence all the way to execution day of the wrong Carlos. And after Carlos was executed, they did an investigation and found he was telling the truth. Carlos Hernandez did exist. And they even found that he had bragged about killing Wanda to other people and that his friend Carlos de Luna took the fall for him. 
the wrong Carlos was executed. But the right Carlos still died in prison in 1999 from cirrhosis of the liver. As much as he bragged on his friend's sacrifice for himself, he still did not use his friend's sacrifice as a way to turn his life around. Pilate executed an innocent man. We don't have any more mention of Barabbas in scripture. I cannot say whether or not he came to faith in Christ later, but you have the scriptures open to you today. You have the testimony of Pilate. You have the testimony of Barabbas here. And just as much as Barabbas had the opportunity, just as much as these Jewish people had the opportunity to accept Christ, do not make the same mistake that they made that day. Do not reject Jesus. Do not ignore his innocence this morning. 